Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I want to talk to you about uh, American Giant. Stu was just talking about American Giant a minute ago. And he was talking about my pillow. We got off the air and he was like, you know, I'm, I'm wearing those slippers. That you, what you're saying about them is true. <laughs> yeah. Every really? once in a while, I realize that you say things that I... are actually true. <laughs> uh, American Giant is a huge one. Because Same thing. I had never had one of their hoodies before. And you're like, you got to get one of these hoodies. They're incredible. Oh. And I, I like hoodies. I no, got a I bunch of them. And, uh, nothing like that. Nothing like this This one. is the way. Those were the hoodies and the sweat. Have you had, do you have their sweatshirts yet? Uh, I don't know. They are the sweatshirts have... that I grew up. They were just, you oh, like, so that's high. the way Champion used to be. Champion mm. sweatshirts suck now if you remember the real right, ones. Right, right, right. They sold all those machines. Well, they were in Japan, and all of the skill to make them were gone. It's American Giant that brought those machines back and then fixed them, got them running for modern era, and then trained people in the factory. And it's it's really the way we made them in the 1960s when they were unstoppable. You notice the difference, yeah, in a big way. American financing. Hey, Dad's uh, day is coming up. American-Giant.com/slash/Glen. American-Giant.com/slash/Glen. Use the promo code Glen. Save 20 percent right now. American-Giant.com/slash/Glen. America. Welcome to the program. It is Friday. Uh, I found uh, this woman giving a talk on, I don't know, YouTube or something about a month ago, and I'm so excited to have her on. I think she's brilliant. You are going to love her. Uh, And I think, at least what I like, I like people who have changed. Tell me your story on how you changed and how you came to what you believe. That's why I think we all need to talk to each other, even if we disagree with each other, because I'm going to learn something from you on how did you get there? Wait to hear this woman's story. So (laughs) this is so fantastic. She wrote, and I quote, 15 years ago, I was living in a queer commune commune and calling and calling myself Sebastian. I spent hours on message boards angrily defending the queer theory belief that gender is a performance. She didn't believe any of those things now. In fact, uh, she says she's against progress. Uh, Her feminism is not the feminism that you're seeing now. In fact, she actually believes the pill was the first step to transhumanism. 
You're going to love Mary. She's on in 60 seconds. So summer's here, and that means it's time to beat the heat with Blinds.com. Right now, you can save 45% on selected products. Your home is going to look a lot better once you got new window treatments from Blinds.com. And this is the fastest and the easiest way for you to uh, change the feel of your home and spice it up. Blinds.com, easiest way to make your windows look great. And you don't even have to install them if you don't want to. You just click installation at checkout. You can do it yourself if you want. You can get help with picking everything out if you want. It's free. The design experts, they're really good. Help you uh, decide the best selection. Tanya and I have used them. And I will tell you, at one point I picked out something and she said, yeah, you really don't want that one. You, how about this one? It looks like it, but it's better. And I said, it's cheaper than the one I picked out. And she's like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, it is. And it's better. I'm like, how is this working? You're talking me out of spending more money with your company. I love that. Uh, Blinds.com. Save 45% now on selected products. 45% off selected products right now at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions do apply. The contributing editor for Unheard. She is the author of Feminism Against Progress. She used to be known as Sebastian. Her name is Mary Harrington. Welcome, Mary. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Uh, I am good. I, I, I... I don't even remember uh, where you were speaking, uh, but I, I saw a clip of you online and you are ju- you're very clear and clarified uh, and uh, you have a lot of fans uh, in my producing staff as well. So thank you for coming on. It's a pleasure to be here. So <clears throat> I, I started with what you what you said 15 years ago i was living in a queer commune calling myself sebastian spent hours on the message boards angrily defending the queer theory belief that gender is a performance now you are being canceled for being honest about the differences between uh, male and female why are you no longer mm-hmm. sebastian what happened <laughs> well as it it was kind of a it was kind of a thought experiment changing my name to sebastian i wanted to see what it would be like and it turned out that I just didn't really like it very much. Um, I didn't like it. Felt it felt like I it felt too big of an ask in the end to to say to my friends, to say to my family more than anything that I you this name that you've known me by and this person who you always thought I was that's not who I am anymore, and I want you to call me something different. That just felt like I, I didn't have the right to ask that, and, I, and it honestly just made me uncomfortable. I know that's that there are there are people who don't take that. There are a great many more people who don't take that view now but but that was that was just where i got to with it and also i just didn't really want to be a dude you know i kind of <laughs> i felt i wasn't really sure i wasn't really sure that i wanted to be a woman at the time because it seemed that seemed to come with a whole lot of downsides um but as, as it I, I was kind of an it was an experiment to see what it felt like and then in the end i i I, I, I backtracked i walked back sebastian fairly quickly and went by sebastian mary for a while which i still mm. kind of like i mean <laughs> sebastian mary have a nice feel to it yeah sure um and, you know, I wore my hair short and I, I wore, you know, whatever, whatever clothes I wore. And I was kind of a, um, I, I was experimental about everything when I was 20 so, something, as so many people are, I guess. But then in, in the end, I fell off the wagon. I just, I just realized it wasn't, it just wasn't making me happy. And you know, I don't know, I don't think I figured that out. It wasn't like I woke up one day and was like, actually, this all sucks and I'm going to become a reactionary. It didn't happen that quickly. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, it, was, it was like, um, 
like my whole life sort of fell apart in 2008 because the startup I was I founded came to pieces and it was partly my fault and I ended up just I lost my whole circle of friends it's like getting, I don't know if you've ever had a business fail underneath you but it's like getting divorced oh yeah work. no it really messes with your mind yeah but it's the bet when uh, when you fail in whatever it's the only time you eventually look back and say that's when I really grew so if you can it make was, it through absolutely. it, I mean, it was a it was a world changing, just a properly life changing moment for me because it it really threw into relief a lot of the things which I, a lot of the beliefs that I based what I was doing on, and a lot of those beliefs really were I, I guess you would call them woke now, although that wasn't what they were called then. But I was pretty woke about everything, and I really kind of followed through on all of it. You know, I just didn't really want. I didn't really want any hierarchy or any boundaries or any any structure to anything, really. And that, inevitably, that meant I had a very anarchic, unstructured, unboundaried life, which is just not very nice, especially as you get older. So and I began to realise I was lonely, and I was, and you know, I was getting older, and I still, I was still, I still had no money, and I didn't really know where I was going to be living from one one year to the next, and it just wasn't very nice. And then, and it, it was it was sheer luck, really. That I mean, I remember my grandmother gave me some advice. We were very close. She was a wonderful, very wise woman, my grandmother. Um, she'd been a farmer and a doctor, and uh, she was pretty tough. Um, and she looked at me one day when I went to visit her, and she said, you know what, Mary, I think you should grow your hair and get married. And I was like, whoa, because at the time I wore my hair extremely short, and I was living in queer communes and just really a very, very, very some distance from getting growing my hair and getting married. But I, think, I guess it must have stuck in my mind, because as it turned out, it was really good advice. Hmm. That's, so, um, so, yeah, wait, as, so wait, as, you, as it turns out, look, looking normal gives you a lot more freedom to be whoever you are. Um, and being married, actually, as it turns out, gave me a, great, a lot more freedom to be who so, I am. So that is my uh, discovery with um, religion when it is understood and put in its proper place. Um, that, you know, for me, I, there is my relationship with God. And then there's my religion, which I choose uh, that has the framework that helps me be a better person. And for me, the um, a more uh, structured system, the better for me, because I have found now that uh, freedom really can come from just playing by the rules. <laughs> it's a yeah. lot easier. But they would some people would say that that's you're selling out to the system. Well, I don't know. I think it's it, it's just much more that it's very difficult to be creative if you don't have any boundaries. I mean, I'll give you a very recent example. It's a very very tiny example. You know, there are a whole lot, there are lots of there, there are lots of people, particularly women, who who are afraid that if they if they have kids, they'll end up tied down and they won't be able to do anything self-expressive. Right. But so so I have I only have one child because I started fairly late. And my husband, I had to work, it's half term, which is a week of school holidays at the moment here. Mm. And at the beginning of the week, my husband took our daughter up to visit the in-laws. I had to stay, I had to stay here and work. And I thought, oh, okay, so I'll, I'll get all of my work done in one day and then I'll do whatever the next day or I'll do a whole load of other things. And as it turned out, I did not get all of my work done in one day. I did exactly the same amount of work, Glenn, as I would have done if I'd been working during school hours. I just spent the rest of the time faffing around. <laughs> um, as it turns out... <laughs> As it turns out, the, the boundary, you know, although sometimes I think, ah, oh, I have to, I have to, I'm in the middle of something. I don't want to have to put it down to, to go and collect my daughter and do one stuff. But as it turns out, if I don't have that boundary, I don't get any more done. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm just wandering around feeling bored and lonely. 
And, and, what, and it really took me back to being 25 and having no constraints on my time and just not really getting a whole lot done. And it made me realize that actually the, 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 the constraints, which are the beneficial, you know, healthy, life-giving, life-affirming and loving constraints that my family imposes on me, they're not an, they're not an obstacle to my creative work now. They're, 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 the, they're its basic enabling condition. And I can't do anything that I do without, without that. So, Mary, we have... So, we have and <clears> I suppose <throat> you could generalize that to a faith as well. You know, you put those constraints on yourself and they, they allow you to flourish. I think that's, that's very true. We have... We see things now, I think, as a choice. And, and when my mom and dad got married in the 1950s, and my mom was, you know, in her 20s and her early 20s. And so when the 60s came around... She was too uh, old for the burn your bra thing. Uh, she was not of the hippie generation, but she also didn't want to be a part of the the 1950s stay at home. She was very creative, uh, everything else. And she <clears throat> she ended up uh, in suicide and um, on massive drug abuse because people doctors used to write prescriptions. Oh, you're sad. OK, take this. You'll be fine. Um, and. I, I think that's the way we look at things. It's either hmm. you are, you can do everything. A ma- you're, you're, you are a man if you want to be, or you're going to be taken Valium at home with the kids and you've got no life except this, uh, you know, uh, slavery kind of housewife kind of life. It's that those are both bogus, aren't they? Uh huh. Well, I mean, I've, I've, I've never met a stay-at-home mum who just spends all of her time, like, vacuuming and, and <laughs> making dinner. You know, they, I've, uh, those women don't... I mean, if they exist, I've never... Maybe they exist. I don't know, Glenn, but I've never met one. Yeah, the stay-at-home mums who I know, they, they organise groups, they, 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 get to, they, they hang out with one another, you know, they, 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 all, they get stuff done. I mean, back in the 19th century, um, bourgeois, bourgeois housewives were pretty much around the world. I mean, there's, a, there's an amazing history. My, my great friend Erica Bakayoki recently wrote a history of, the, of women's organizing in 19th century America and just how extensive and how networked and how effective these women were mm-hmm. at, uh, at bringing about social change, you know, on a huge range of, huge range of important issues. A lot of them had, you know, they were issues of faith or they were issues of temperance or they were issues of, you know, the, the looking, looking after the poor or the needy or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these are women who got things done, and the fact that they weren't drawing a salary directly for doing it was neither here nor there. You know, there are, there are a great many more ways to be be a part of the larger the larger social fabric than than just kind of turning up in an office and drawing down a salary. And I think there's something there's something very limited and very um, very narrow minded about thinking about it, thinking about it in that way. So, and I think there's, you know, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough time now, especially for those women who really do want to be mothers, because a lot of them, a lot of them end up having to work more than they would like to, because that flexibility just isn't there. And I can think of a great many women who bite your arm off at the opportunity to be a stay-at-home mom, or even just to work a bit more flexibly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, and we've ended or up it, with, it, with less choice in some other ways. I think also just to not be looked down on. I mean, I, I uh-huh. think one of the worst things that. Uh, that women say, um, I'm just a housewife. I'm just a mom. Oh, yeah. What do you mean? You're just a mom. What does that mean? Yeah. And that's because and something else, I, we I look down on it. What'd you say? Stay at home mom. And, and every stay at home mom I've ever met, including me, will recognize the, that 
you go to a party and somebody asks, so what do you do? And you say, well, I'm a mum. And you can see they're already looking over your shoulder for somebody more interesting to talk to. It happens. Uh. Every, every stay-at-home mum I've ever met will recognise that. But I'll tell you something else. You get it worse from liberals than you do from conservatives. You're much more likely in, 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 a, in a relatively conservative circle of people to, to, have, to have the work that you do acknowledged and respected and, and, and responded to in a respectful way than you are amongst progressives, no matter how much lip service they pay to liberalism and to women having choice. In fact, well, the reality is that in, that, in terms of that moral hierarchy, um, the, choice, the choice to be a mum is nowhere. Uh, when we come back, I need to take one minute break. When we come back, um, Mary, I want you to talk about the feminism of care and the feminism of freedom, what the difference is between, and also cyborg f- uh, feminism. Uh, coming up in just a second. Her name is Mary Harrington. The uh, book that she has written is Feminism Against Progress. Uh, and you can find her on her website, reactionaryfeminist.com. Uh, you know that I am a uh, voracious uh, history collector. Uh, and I am trying to preserve our Western history, the, the things that we did, both good and bad. And it is really important. When I did my family uh, genealogy, I got back into the, just the 1800s. And it changed my life because I realized I found my great-great-grandfather and my great-great-uncle had both served in the Union Army. And one of them died uh, in Andersonville Prison. And if you know anything about it, it's practically Auschwitz, the American Auschwitz. Uh, one of them died in that camp and the other one barely survived and was never the same. And it makes a difference to me, at least in my life. I know that I came from strong people that could handle things. Uh, I know that they were on the right side, at least that time. Uh, and it's meaningful. I collect history for our country and preserve it for generations to come. But people dismiss their own history. You are the historian for your family. You've got to preserve all of the old videotapes, audio tapes, pictures, all the old pre-digital formats, you know, that you used to use to store memories on. Those things are all going away. Magnetic tape is really only supposed to last about 10 years. Look at the old pictures. They're already fading. You've got to digitize them. And that's where Legacy Box comes in. Legacy Box. For a limited time, get started on future-proofing your past and take advantage of an exclusive discount at LegacyBox.com slash Beck. LegacyBox.com slash Beck. So you know, I, I not only do this for my own family history, but Legacy Box is helping us preserve some uh, pictures from the late 1800s. Uh, and I trust them to do that. So LegacyBox.com, you can trust them with your stuff. LegacyBox.com slash Beck. 10 seconds, station ID. So, um, Mary, uh, first of all, let me ask you, feminism of care, feminism of freedom, what is the difference and... And how does this history tie into what you call cyborg feminism? So really, the the big story here that I'm trying to tell is how feminism ended up happening at all, why it's not 
it's not just about progress in some kind of abstract sense, like we used to be bad people and now we're good people. That's not really a thing. Um, you know, I think some things get better, some things get worse, right? Just depends on where you're standing and how you're looking at it. But if, if you're not looking at, if you're not think, seeing feminism as evidence of us just getting better, then why is it happening? And, and this, so I kind of went down a rabbit hole trying to figure out, you know, if, if I don't believe in progress, then I don't. Um, why, why, is, why did this happen at all? And I, I came to realize that feminism happened. You know, it, it had to happen. It, and it was women's response to how family life changed with, with the Industrial Revolution. And it was, it was a good and it was right and proper that women did respond. Um, because, the, well, one of, the, one of the most important ways that the Industrial Revolution changed things for women um, was, that it, was that work left the home. And when that happened, um, a whole, like previously in, in the medieval era, men and women both worked. I mean, this, this would have been true in oh, pioneer yeah. households in the United States as well. You know, it wasn't, right. it wasn't that women were just sat around filing their nails while the guys did everything. Um, you know, the, the women were pretty tough. You know, it was hard physical work and they might have done different work to, to men, um, but they would have been processing raw materials. They'd have been, you know, slaughtering poultry and making cheese or making fabric or making clothes for the family. You know, women, yeah. women worked as hard as men. I and think so they, I, in some ways harder. I, I remember my grandmother, what it took just to do the wash. And that was it with one exactly. of the first exactly. washing machines. It was still tough. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's a, a lot of incredibly hard work. So men and women, women men and women all worked, except in the very richest households. Um, and uh, but it, but when the industrial when industrial industrialization happened, um, a whole lot of the first work, a lot of the work to be the first to be industrialized was the work that had previously been women's work. So textile making stopped mm-hmm. being something that you did while you were talking to your sisters and your cousins with kids underfoot inside the home. And it became something that happened in a big dangerous factory 12 miles away. And so, you know, you might still be working in textile making, but you can't do that and look after your kids. And then you have the question of what you're going to do with the kids. So, so there's a whole load of questions, the whole load of, of problems, really, that this throws up for women that they've got to deal with. You know, if you're, if you're breastfeeding, can you, can you still work? And this just wasn't, this wasn't really a question before when work was something that happened inside the home. And, and women responded to this in two, I mean, it, it's very, it, it varies a lot depending on where you are. And in Europe, it's different to the United States. And it happens at different times, industrialization. But broadly speaking, women responded in two characteristic ways. Um, where, it was, where it was affordable for them, to, for them not to work, um, they, they chose to do so and to look after the kids instead because they rec- women recognized that, you know, kids still need looking after. Um, and, and among those mostly middle-class women, um, there was a huge amount of writing and um, organizing that went into making sure people understood that this, was still, this still mattered, that it wasn't, right. you know, it wasn't directly economically productive, but this was still important. And this is more recently, feminist historiographers have, have called this, you know, they, they tend to treat this as kind of um, false, patriarchal false consciousness, if you like. Hold on, hold on just a second, Mary. Hold on, we got to take a quick break. Back in just a second with the reactionary feminist. The Glenn Beck Program. You and I are getting older every single day. One of the things that comes with getting older is aches and pains. Joints start to wear down. Normal exercise of everyday life begin to catch up. You don't bounce back just as fast. Um, and we also, all of us, a lot of it is because of the food we eat and the things we do. Um, but we have inflammation in our bodies. And inflammation is the main cause of 
disease, the main cause of, uh, of pain in our bodies. Just went to the doctor recently, and he was doing a blood test, and he said, your inflammation is, like, gone. Um, and I said, I'm taking a relief factor because that's what it does. And not only is my inflammation in my body gone, <clears throat> I also um, don't have pain. I mean, I have, you know, usual stuff, but it's all, like, livable, where before I couldn't function with the pain, and I tried relief factor. I didn't think it would work for me. You may not think it works for you, but they just say try it for three weeks. If it's not working in three weeks, if you're taking it as directed, it's not going to work for you. But 70% of the people go on to order more month after month. I'm one of them. Call 800, the number four relief, 800 for relief or relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. Head over to blazetv.com slash Glenn and subscribe today. Use the promo code Glenn and save. Talking to Mary Harrington, uh, who believes the feminism of freedom and the feminism of care are the twin poles of the women's movement from the mid uh, to late 18th century onward. She says uh, feminism of freedom and the feminism of care uh, started really kind of going to war with each other because women were rightly quite conflicted. We need more freedom of movement. This new world seems premised on the idea that everyone is a free individual and we can be our own self in the market. That's what freedom is. Why can't we have that? Then, of course, you had the other side because we're women and we're mothers. We have children. You have a baby. You have a six-year-old. We know what it's like to be needed. So women argued from that experience of motherhood, it's not so simple. We need to have this recognized and taken into account. She says the feminist of freedom won out over the feminism of care when contraception and abortion were legalized. This is where we get the uh, the the cyborg or uh, transhumanism. Mary joins us again. Mary, can you take us through that that part of this? Sure. I mean, my argument is essentially that feminism, as such, ended in the 1960s, and that we should think of the sexual revolution not as the sexual revolution, but the transhumanist revolution. Uh, we are 50 years and more in and counting into the transhumanist revolution. And that what marches under the banner of feminism now is more, we should, we should think of it more as a kind of libertarianism of the body, which is to say a, a, a belief that we should be free to do whatever we want with our bodies and we should be constrained in no way by any, any aspect of our bodies, including our sex, um, including whether we're born male or female. That should not right. limit us in any way at all. Yeah, I was just talking to a, a really brilliant uh, guy yesterday, uh, Spencer Clavin, and he said... Um, uh, trans people is really the the beginning of the end because uh, it's going that's all transhumanism you control yeah, with technology you control absolutely. what you are absolutely and that began with the contraceptive pill because if you think about it the pill was the first medical technology that didn't set out to fix something that was broken. Like if I broke my wrist, then or I, need, I go see a doctor, the doctor gives me pain meds and splints my arm and I, I am, I'm better again. But that assumes like, and, but, but what the pill does is the opposite of that. 
or at least it's, it's very different to that. The pill breaks something which is working just fine, which is normal female fertility. Um, in the, in, and it does so in the name of personal freedom. It does so, it does so in order to grant women the freedom to have sex without, without dealing with un, unexpected pregnancies or undesired pregnancies, I should say. So, you know, a pregnancy under those circumstances, you know, if you have sex, you, you should expect normally to get pregnant. Um, and, and the pill, but the pill breaks that, and it does so in the name of freedom. And there have been lots of benefits to that. You know, it's, it, allowed, it allowed a huge number of women to, to plan their lives in a way which hadn't been easily possible before. So lots right. of women went to college and got jobs. And I, I, I mean, I, I participated in public life in a way which was much more difficult previously. But it also came with some, with, with some unexpected costs. I mean, my great friend Louise Perry has written, has, has written a great deal about the downsides of the sexual revolution for women. Um, but one of, the, one of the unexpected effects of the pill was that it didn't, it didn't prevent unexpected pregnancies nearly as much as people thought it would. Because what, although fewer pregnancies were happening relative to the number of people who were having sex, there were so many pe- more people having casual sex because they could, essentially, that the absolute number of unplanned pregnancies went up. And that created a pressure to legalize abortion. Um, and I mean, we've been talking about the feminism of freedom and the feminism of care. And, you know, one, a, a bunch of women who, who wanted to say women's interests are about um, our relationships and our bodies and our children and our families. And another bunch of freedom who was saying women's interests are about defending our right to do whatever we want to do, just and on the same terms as men. So that's very crudely the two, the two sides of that argument. And it's very, you know, wherever you stand on abortion, it's very hard to think of a clearer way of saying freedom matters more than care than to say my freedom is so important that I will defend it even at the cost of a potential human life. So that's that's totally reliant on my body. Let me go to um, the trans uh, argument that is being happen is happening all over the world right now. Um, And I think we are uh, ahead of you or behind you, I guess, because I think you guys are actually starting to come out of this already. Um, And, you know, turfs, are just a horrible thing. Uh, however, it seems as though, and I think this really is in large part due to you, that the TERFs are winning in uh, Great Britain. Is that true? And, and what did you do to change the tide over there that America can do? Well, it's, I mean, it depends... We've we've definitely we've had some successes. That's definitely true. I'm I'm a long way from declaring it a victory. Right. I think I'd be a little bit like George Bush when he was standing there on that on that <laughs> ship saying, saying right. we won, we won, guys, we can all go home." Um, I think it's a little, it's a, it's too early to say that we've won, and we really are just into the foothills of something here. Um, but if there's if there's something that the turfs did. I mean, the the British situation is very different to the American one anyway, because culturally we're just kind of I think we're just more pessimistic in Britain about (laughs) about being who being who you want to be. You know, that's that's pretty that's pretty baked into the American way of looking at things that that people should be able to be who they want to be. Correct. And so I can see like that 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 plugs fairly obviously into into what's going on with the trans thing. Like, why why shouldn't these people be who they want to be, even if that means imagining their bodies are meat Legos and they can rearrange them as they as they um, and, and I think I think Brits are just a little bit more pessimistic about that. We're also better organised because we had Mumsnet, which is it's a discussion forum for for mums. Um, and a lot of the a lot of the very early organising um, to to push back against gender ideology began on Mumsnet and has since spun out into into campaigning institutions. And I think if there have been if there have been concrete successes in Britain, 
um, it's been in realizing that actually where the battle is fought is not it's not in the media culture war. That that stuff is noisy, but it doesn't really do very much. It doesn't move the needle. And actually, what you need to do is build institutions, and you need to lean on the levers of power, which are which are NGOs these days. You know, most most real power flows through flows through NGOs and happens prior to voting in the world mm. as it is now. And I think in as much, I mean, I, I, I don't track American politics super closely, but, you know, in as, well, where, where things cross my radar that look as though they're moving the needle in a similar way, it's, for example, the Mums for Liberty movement on school choice, mm-hmm. um, which, which to me has some of the same character, I mean, with, with American characteristics and much more and American style, um, slightly different priorities. But I see, I see that as being, you know, they're, they're, getting, they're getting their members on school boards. And they're and they're leaning on the actual levers of power. They aren't just they aren't just writing angry think pieces and then looking surprised when nothing changes. They're they're showing up and they're and they're doing politics. And as a result, they're you know they it's it's not you know they're they're moving the needle. And that's that, and I guess that's that's how it has to work. Um, you know, if you're going to if if you want to affect change, you have to show right. up. Are you? Um, uh, and you have to show up where it matters. We we are seeing things, you know gender mutilation on children and everything else and we are behind you on you are having more success of stopping that over in uh great britain than we are um uh, but people are waking up but it it is it's absolute evil what is what is happening right now um are are you uh optimistic or pessimistic uh here on how this all works out are we in for a very yeah. long battle, or we lose? It's or... going to be a bumpy ride. I think it's yeah. going to be a bumpy ride, and it, honestly, I think it's going to be a bit of both. To be honest, I, I think the turfs will win on on pediatric gender. I think what a friend of mine calls it um, genital lobotomies. I don't think I think mm. that will that will stop because the because the negative side effects are so obvious, and sooner or later there's just going to be such a cascade of losses that it's going to, and, and so many. You know, the, the number of the number of brutalized adults who just who are brutalized, angry young adults will just get so big that it will stop. Um, but I think that the, if you if you view the gender movement as a kind of spearhead for a wider transhumanist, um, you know, the, the, the onward march of biotech into yeah. our bodies, um, I think if, if we imagine that it, if, if we if we claim victory just because they stop doing gender lobotomies on children, then when we're not paying attention, yes. because you know, the, the stuff the stuff which is coming down the line is in vitro gametogenesis and three parents three parent embryos, and you know there are experimental surgeries which which splice people with bits of animal and genetically engineering pigs so that they can grow human organs for the transplant industry and a whole bunch of other stuff. You know, it just gets more and more baroque and more and more disturbing. And, and, and that's, yeah. And, and it's, very, it's very easy to argue the, the conservative case against creating monsters, but it's very much harder to argue the conservative case against creating supermen. And I think that's, a, that's an argument which we, which we haven't even begun to have yet. No. And people are already trying to do it. Mary, thank you so much for everything. Say hi to Sebastian if you ever see him. Uh, (laughs) it's been such a pleasure talking to you thank you for having me thank you mary harrington uh the book that she wrote is feminism against progress um and she is a contributing editor for the uh for unheard and you can follow her at reactionaryfeminist.com uh she is absolutely right the last things that she was talking about and this is something i've been i've been saying for a, a long time more probably off the air than on the air there are conversations that we have to have right 
now. Um, we, we, we are going to be facing some of the biggest questions man has ever, you know, we've always said, you know, well, what is life? Well, that's been more kind of academic, um, but it's not going to be academic very soon when you can transform people and make them into a cyborg. Uh, is that a good thing? A bad thing? What should we be doing? What, what, what does it mean to be organic? These things, people don't have any idea. That is why when she said the pill is the beginning of transhumanism, she's right. She's right. Um, there are things that we should, uh, we, we must be talking about right now because we're fighting uh, almost a campfire with this trans stuff. This is almost a campfire compared to what is coming in probably the next three to five years. More in a minute. Summer is here. That means it is time to fire up the grill. And when I throw a set of steaks or burgers on, I want them to be the best quality for my family. And I don't mean just taste. I want what comes from my table to come from an American farm or a ranch. Call me old-fashioned, but I don't want an ear. Chinese meat. Now, 85% of uh, grass-fed beef is imported from overseas. 85%. So when you see that little sticker, product of USA, it doesn't mean that that cow grew up uh, here. And it just means it was finally sliced into steaks here. Really, that's it. That's the loophole. Good Ranchers donates 10 meals to Americans in need uh, for every box that is ordered. So when you order a box, 10 meals are going to people who can't afford it. That you're doing good. You're going to lock in your price. And believe me, the price of meat is going to go up. So lock in your price now at GoodRanchers.com. You get $30 off of any box right now as well. And it's all from America. There's nothing, There's no downside here. It is all upside. GoodRanchers.com. Use the promo code BECK. Save 30%, uh, $30 off your first box at GoodRanchers.com. Join the conversation. 888-727-BECK. The Glenn Beck Program. Okay, so uh, Mitt Romney has just come out uh, and said, you know, he's tired, sick and tired of these extremists. There are people who want to make noise, and then there are people who want to make law. Really? Is that what it is? Because I'm not about making noise for the sake of noise. It's about making noise out of sincere desire to highlight grave misunderstandings about a major defect in the law that you are making. It doesn't do what you say it does. So far right noisemaker, you can say what I don't care. I've been called much, much worse. But that is just noise. Calling me just a noisemaker is just noise designed to disguise your disregard for the harms which you're subjecting all of us to. My children are going to pay for your mistake. It's indefensible. 
I just got an uh, I just got a uh, I just got an email from Mike Lee. He says effective opposition to the move toward out of control, unconstitutional government will remain limited in its effectiveness as long as anyone signaling alarm is dismissed as fringe far right fanatic. And yet both of our political parties, the entire news media establishment and our education system does exactly that. Consequently, all of the wrong things and the wrong people are alternately praised or relentlessly attacked, depending on whether they advocate advancing or retreating from the march toward out-of-control government untethered from the Constitution. He is right. And it's the first time I've heard, really, somebody stated eloquently, it's both sides. Now, if I'm a noisemaker just to make noise, why would I be saying it's on both sides? Why uh, wouldn't, wouldn't I just be trying to get my guys elected, go team go? I'm looking for people who will protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. I'm looking for somebody that will not spend us into oblivion and make my children slaves to a debt that is they will never pay off. In America, that debt is not going away. Do you think anyone will forgive our debt? Anyone will forgive our debt? No, they will take our land. They will take our resources, but they will not forgive our debt. Where are the people in Washington that understand? I don't I didn't send you there to make laws. I sent you there to protect the Constitution. And all of this, all of this destroys the Constitution. All of this game playing, all of these shell games that are in all of these laws that you pass. Say what you mean, mean what you say. And let's please get our spending under control. We'll remember you at election the Glenn time, Matt. Program. 